This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, June 19th, 2017. I'm Caleb Brown. Glenn Jacobs, better known as Kane from the WWE, is bullish on millennials. At the Foundation for Economic Education's inaugural FeeCon, I spoke with Jacobs about economics, the housing crisis, and the importance of failure. One of the things that I think may have been forgotten or not truly appreciated about the uh, financial crisis is that capitalism is a profit and loss system. And uh, to the extent that there were losses in the financial crisis, it seems that Americans ultimately will be paying the price for that generally. And uh, a lot of banks didn't, didn't suffer. Uh, and that should throw up a red flag to anyone who's paying attention. And in our own lives, if we're not allowed to fail, it's it's hard to get a good lesson out of it. Absolutely. Uh, failure is just as important a component of the market as success is. In fact, in many cases, what we see is failure leads to success. I know this from my own life because the reason that I was able to ultimately succeed is because I tried a lot of things and failed at them. They just didn't work. I, but what I were learned, some of the early things well, that you tried? Well, I mean, just uh, with my athletic career, I had injuries that precluded me from going to a higher level. Um, you know, just just mainly things like that. Um, but I was always willing to work hard. And what you find is that uh, I, I believe that everyone has abilities and has a gift, right? Uh, I believe that uh, we're not put on this planet just to sort of get through, that the people, everyone can achieve greatness. It's just in whatever way they choose and and, uh, however they define greatness. You're never going to discover that if you're not allowed to express yourself. I believe that the market is not only the ultimate expression of freedom economically, but also personally, because you're allowed to do things and to try things. If you're looking at a authoritarian government um, and system, often what happens is you are given a test and this is what you're going to be because this is what your aptitudes are and this is what the state needs you for. To me, that's not living. You're a means. Yeah, you're you're a cog in a machine. In the market, you're given the ability to do what you want to do. You're given the ability to find out what you're good at. Failure is a part of that. But the only way that you can really be successful is by adding value to other people's lives in some way, right? And that's that is the beauty of the market is that we have the ability to experiment and sometimes fail, but learn from those experiences and ultimately achieve a much higher level of success. So where do we see failure being preempted, uh, to use your term, uh, in the United States? Well, I think with our social welfare system, because what happens is essentially people are put into a box, a a little, uh, I would call it a prison. And they're given enough that they survive and they're conditioned to believe that that's what life is really all about. And I think that's a travesty. The left often portrays itself and and we think of the left as being compassionate. 
I don't think that's compassion at all because I don't think that's how human beings were meant to live. I think, again, I think that everyone has some sort of greatness inside of them that ultimately as an expression of the humanity that they would like to express. They're precluded from doing that because they're told, oh, it's, it's okay, you can never be better than this. And I just think that's absolutely wrong. And I also believe that socially, if you look at all the lost productivity, you know, um, how much have we lost as a society? Because we never knew what some folks could have been if we had allowed them, if they'd been challenged and had gone after, you know, just gone and tried to do what they really wanted to do, the driving force in their life. Um, and again, I just, I believe that that is a great example of where um, superficial compassion, you know, you look at someone and say, hey, they really, they really need help. Um, but instead of helping them, what you end up doing is really um, not allowing them to go out and, and live the life that they were destined to live. They're not empowered. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You, you're, they're, they're, their power is stripped away from them, you know, and they're told this is, this is it, you know. And now, of course, unfortunately, we've, we've um, gotten into a generational cycle. And don't get me wrong, I mean, you know, of course, there are people that need a hand up. I mean, in various points in my life, I've needed that. Um, but instead of giving a hand, out, a hand up, you know, when we end up giving a hand out, then we just condition folks to believe that you can never do better than this. And you point to some uh, social welfare programs as uh, a policy. I would argue that there are a whole lot of uh, regulations that are designed to protect uh, systems, protect depositors, for example, yeah. or any, any number of groups of people who are being protected from not only the cost of someone else's failure, but also protected from the task of due diligence exactly, on yeah. their own part. Yeah, a lot of the, a lot of the consumer protection agencies, um, the unintended consequence of that is everyone thinks that, oh, I'm protected and I don't have to worry about it because the government looks after this. Well, we then discover that the, the real check on incompetence is the market because incompetence will eventually fail. Okay. Um, but when that isn't allowed to happen, then you have a systemic failure, which is what we saw as you were referring to earlier with the housing bust, you know, that would have never happened if the government hadn't been out there. Uh, first of all, the fed is printing bucket loads of money essentially to, to bring us back out of the, the dot com bust. They, print huge amounts of money, throw it out to the economy, then fiscal policy directs it into the housing market. Then you have things like the secondary mortgage market, which create, which was created. I, I had someone arguing with me one day about this. And you know, they were talking about the secondary mortgage market and talking about how is market failure. I was like, GSEs. The, the market didn't create it. Yeah, they were. Th those were government entities. You know, they weren't even. You know, if 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 there had been a secondary market in 
for mortgages in the free market, it would have looked completely different than what we had. And what we had basically encouraged lenders to lend irresponsibly because they didn't have to take responsibility for the loan. They sell the loan, they get the commission, then they sell it to you know Fannie or Freddie. And of course, that's going to be a disaster. And then, of course, Fannie and Freddie chopped it all up. So, you have these toxic assets all through the system. But then, because the government approved all that, people are like, oh, it's, you know, it's a safe system. When in fact, it was a ticking time bomb and you're exactly right you know our, our we have a responsibility as consumers consumer beware but we're essentially conditioned to believe that the government is omnipotent and knows everything and just tell us we're always going to be safe if it has the government seal of approval and, and the other thing about all of the consumer protections or regulations on corporate entities is that uh, both consumers and lenders at least in the financial crisis were all strongly encouraged to take the same kinds of risks yeah and exactly. not it wasn't a diversity of risk exactly you know um if you look back, say, at the Great Depression, and uh, one of the causes for the banking failures in the U.S. is that they weren't allowed to engage in branch banking, whereas they were in Canada. So, essentially, they weren't able to move money around between branches to places that would need it. Um, and that's one of the things that uh, uh, Lawrence Reed talks about in The Great Myths of the, of the Great Depression is that Canada didn't have any uh, banking failures for that reason. You know. Um, so yeah, when you see everyone encouraged, you know, to go the same way, um, again, it becomes a systemic failure. And one of the advantages of the free market over that is that you're not going to see systemic failures in that regard because you don't have essentially one body determining what policy is going to be. You're going to see a lot of small failures of course, but that's also Schumpeter's creative destruction. You know, those things have to go to make room for something better. On the other hand, when you have the government involved and there's a one-size-fits-all policy, that's when you get into the extremely destructive systemic failures, and there's no place to hide from those. Rules emerge, uh, and when you have a, a, a large regulatory apparatus uh, that directs both uh, industry and consumers into certain behaviors, new rules emerge. And those aren't necessarily good rules for anyone involved. <laughs> in the marketplace, in housing in particular, one of the rules that until fairly recently in American history, one of those rules was 20% eh, down is a pretty good idea for a house. But that went that for for many Americans, for millions of Americans, that that was not viewed as the way to secure housing. Right. And that, that seems to be one of the other costs is that that rules that otherwise would perform well, that would be durable, uh, that would last, are not allowed to emerge. And people aren't allowed to learn what the basic rules, not legislation, but law, uh, operates when it comes to uh, interacting with one another. Sure. Um, you know, Ludwig von Mises talked about identifying the primary intervention in the market. And what so often happens is we have a primary intervention and it causes unintended destructive consequences. So then we have a secondary intervention to deal with the primary intervention. Well, the secondary intervention works for a little bit, but it causes unintended destructive consequences. So then we have a tertiary intervention. And at the end of the day, you know, the free market is, is 
it's almost like Wiley, uh, Wiley Coyote and the Roadrunner. The free market is zipping around all these things that Wiley Coyote is trying to do for it, uh, or to do to it, you know, and it's very effective at doing that because, you know, it's adaptable, you know, but along the way it, it, frankly, gets fatigued because it keeps on getting weighted down with more and more and more and more. But for policy, you know, and often commentators don't look back to the initial interview. You see the same thing, okay, in the healthcare system right now, right? Um, what's going to happen, and just a prediction, you know, is that uh, it may not happen now with the Republican control of Congress and the presidency. But eventually, Obamacare was going to fail, and we were going to have a one-payer system, because the Democrats were going to talk about how this system failed, because it still has some market system in it. Um, But if you looked previous to Obamacare, um, the system was still uh, 50% controlled by the government. So you have to look all the way back to really the Great Depression for what was one of the initial interventions, which was the wage controls implemented by FDR. So businesses trying to attract employees, but they could only pay them so much. So they started offering fringe benefits like healthcare. Well, that's where we got into the whole third party payer system with the healthcare system. So now the consumer's no longer worried about how much they pay. Then the pricing system starts to get messed up. So then in what the sixties, I guess, Congress implements HMOs, which ended up failing. Then we end up, you know, you see this, you, you see this trend of more and more and more government. And along the way, everybody, of course, blames the market for the problem when it was actually something that happened back in the 1940s that really caused the system to begin like that. The market is a shrinking uh, participant. Exactly. In exactly. The, in but it's always the culprit <laughs> instead of the victim. <laughs> uh, you know, in light of all this, you've, you've talked about some uh, some pretty negative stuff here we have, and uh, what gives you hope for uh, ha- getting back to markets and getting back to essentially free association for individuals? Well, I see so many young people that are so excited about these ideas. Uh, you know, at this conference and other conference, I, there are people from all around the world here, which is just so refreshing. I met, I always call them kids, of course, and they're young people in their twenties, but um, kids from. Uh, Brazil and Peru uh, and uh, Nepal. And who would ever thought that you would see folks like that traveling this far, you know, to come to a conference about free market economics, right? It, it makes our problems seem pretty small. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just mind boggling. And that's really what gives me a lot of hope. And then when you're out talking with people, um, you know, you find a lot of people, you know, most folks have a lot of common sense and, you know, they realize what the problems are. I think people often just get confused about the solutions because there's so much noise coming from the media. Um, and there's also, I think, I think that we much more need to clearly, uh, clearly define the terms that we're using, uh, because people get confused by the terms capitalism. I don't even use capitalism anymore. I say free market or free enterprise, uh, because they look at things like the housing bust as a failure of capitalism. Well, that that wasn't capitalism in action. That was state capitalism or crony capitalism that caused that. That would have, you know, the free market would have would have 
mop that up pretty quickly, right? Um, you know, look at what happened with GM and how uh, the government decided, well, GM can't fail, so we have to take it over. Well, what would happen in the market is GM would have failed, but all their assets would have been there. So, a better manager, a better company, that a company that was run better than GM uh, at that time would have been able to come in, buy it at uh, basically fire sale prices, and then make good cars more cheaply, which would have you know benefited people. Um, so, anyway, uh, people see the problem. It's just, you know, sometimes we get a little confused with the solution. But uh, in all, uh, again, I, I think when I'm out talking with folks, I think that, you know, people, people have a very good grasp of what's going on. And, um, you know, in the end, also, it's just, as I was talking about before, you know, it's just the fact that um, I believe it's human nature. Okay. You know, I, I believe that uh, people want to do better. People want to strive for things in their life, and they're going to demand market, right? And we see that, say, with the internet and all the things going on in the realm of technology. Uh, I have a lot more confidence in the millennials than other people do. You know, they might be different than my generation was, but nevertheless, you see some of the amazing things that they're accomplishing, and. Uh, you know, it, it truly is incredible. So I think the future is quite bright. Actually, the internet gives me a lot of a lot of confidence um, because never before have people been able to communicate this freely, and our idea has been able to disseminate so widely without really any barriers. Glenn Jacobs is better known as the professional wrestler Kane. We spoke at the Foundation for Economic Education's inaugural FeeCon held this weekend in Atlanta. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast at iTunes and Google Play, and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.